Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Marco's Buddha, Who Killed Caitlin, and Nine Isn't Enough. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your co-host other, uh, Robert. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And this is reenacted. Other, co- other co-host you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and this is reenacted. Uh, a, yeah. A, a mysteries unsolved podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's only it's only episode ninety one of this too. So. <laughs> right. L- little excuse for me um, to to not not have that opening down. It's strange. Uh, usually, I get our closing wrong. If I'm going to yeah. mess up anywhere. But I guess there's a uh-huh. first time for everything. I think maybe you're just really excited about this this new Dune movie. I am. I am. You might even say uh, I'm excited at the prospect that the for the first time ever we'll get a good Dune movie. I remember your Gom Jabbar. Now you'll remember mine. I can kill with a word. How many bad Dune movies have there been prior to now? Uh, I only know of one. Uh, well, I guess... Has there been more than one? Well, I mean, there was there was a miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel back like 20 years ago Ugh. or so. Um, Got it. Yeah. It, Is that when they were still spelling it S-C-I-F-I? It's so weird that you mention that because that was like actually Uh the sort of vision i was having in my head was picturing it with that spelling yes i believe that that was that was still in the era uh when they spelled it that way i mean Mm -hmm. i mean of course because dune is a science fiction property not wrestling or reruns or or any of the other Mm -hmm. garbage they show now i'm not you know i'm not familiar I don't. I cut the cord like twelve years ago, so literally, I have no idea what's going on on cable television or network television at all. You, you're um, better off that way. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really have. I don't maintain a subscription myself, but I do encounter it at, uh-huh. uh, through other people's things, and it's just like, yes, yeah. I mean, all the channels are kind of just blurred into one now. Like, I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if, yeah. If you went on the Sci-Fi Channel. S, you know, S Y F Y, or Home and mm-hmm. Garden, or the History Channel, or A and E, or T. Mm-hmm. The programming will, will you won't be able to tell which programming goes where. Yeah, that's that seems to be the deal. I mean, I the only time I yeah I'm encountering it is like or cable television is like at a hotel. Mm, yes, and you know. And then I'm usually like, oh, this is fascinating. Just let me catch up because there's like a bazillion channels and all of them are garbage. Yes. And then by the time I start watching, I pick something to watch, um, which is usually going to be a rerun of a show I've already seen. Mm-hmm. By the time I get to the like second commercial break, I'm like, oh, this is bullshit. And then I just turn it off and then like do like a New York Times crossword on my iPad because I'm at a hotel and I brought my iPad. So that's literally the only time I'm encountering uh, basic cable. But anyway, you wanted to talk about Dune. You are Paul Mordiba. Y- yes. Uh, <laughs> the movie. 
Right. Yes, because soon to be released. Right. Yeah. I. I've. Um. Because we we have we had the nineteen nineteen eighty four David Lynch version. Why? I mean, they've made. I know that they've made documentaries about why that was bad. <laughs> why that was a bad movie. <laughs> There's documentaries about the production of that. Yes. Film. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's just. I mean, I mean, the real the thing is, is uh, Dune is something that should it should be two movies, not one. And okay. in total fairness to David Lynch, like. Uh-huh. Trying to compress that into like one one movie is extraordinarily difficult. Um, right, but are we only getting one movie this time around, or is this Dune Part One? It's going it's going to be a two parter. That's that's the awesome okay, thing. That's that's nice. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there, um, and it's also uh, Denis Villeneuve, right? He's the director. He is this time around. Yeah. See, I pretended like I didn't know anything about this movie. <laughs> you kind of, uh, yeah. Before we before we started recording, I was like, "Oh boy, this is going to be like Robbie talking and Crystal sort of like looking at the time for uh-huh. about ten minutes." Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, I very quickly Googled what was going on with this movie, and then I immediately absorbed the cast and director info. Well, uh, no, I I'm I'm excited about it too. Um, I'm. A big. I really enjoyed Blade Runner twenty forty nine. God, what else has he done? Um, oh, um, he's done a, a lot of really lovely sci fi. Yeah, and other I, things. Uh, God, I can't remember the other examples, but yeah, like I know he's done like he's done multiple projects that were amazing. I thought he was Canadian. I thought he was. I guess he must be French Canadian. Let's look at the IMDb. This has nothing to do with anything at all. We're going to talk about in this Unsolved Mysteries episode, but you know what? Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he did Arrival. That's why. I'm oh, yes, yes. Of him. Okay. So, oh, man, I, that movie. Uh, Arrival? Yeah, Sicario, Prisoner's Enemy, Incendies. Um, let me look here. It's, yeah, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, yeah, so he's, yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan. You know, Robbie, here's the thing. I was gonna, I haven't seen a movie in a theater since, um, since right before COVID started. So that was January of 2020. And what I saw was Parasite and it was a live to picture screening with the orchestra playing the score oh wow and and uh yeah and it was in this is uh it was uh uh the director of parasite i think his name's bong jun ho actually came out and introduced the film and this is right before the academy awards were like parasite cleaned up and then it was right before covid before everything shut down so it was like kind of the last good thing that happened but that was the last movie i saw in the theater not to brag or anything (laughs) um so the next movie i was going to see in the theater when it was safe to do so, I was going to go see the new Top Gun movie. I was really saving my oh yeah self for that, but that's been pushed to like next year. They've been pushing that out for Has two it? years, so I'm wow. like, I don't think I'm going to wait that long. I think it might. I think it might be Dune. Oh, I am. Uh, that, that that. What do you think about that? Wow, that's I. 
I'm I'm amazed. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I I'm decided to make this our, our opening so that you'd go on Google <laughs> and see that it's made by a, a director that you have such esteem for. I mean, that's yeah. I, well, I actually already knew that, but oh, okay. Yeah, I I mean, just playing kind of ignorant for the sake of this conversation. I, but, I, okay. Yeah, I I was I was yeah. No, I mean that's part of why I'm thrilled. Is like we we have like a director who I think. I think, you know, he's the right man for the job and they're going to let him do two movies. I mean, the the mm-hmm. what they did on the Sci-Fi Channel was actually a miniseries multi-part and that was okay. Right. Like it it was a better it got more details from the book correct than the the, the than the Dave mm-hmm. Lynch movie and it, you know, it's a uh, it's 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 a fine enough like, you know, sort of just um run through of the story but i think the the issue with that was it was a sci-fi channel miniseries so its budget mm-hmm. was constrained and so which you know you can kind of yeah. tell in, in places and the the there's a lot of mediocre acting in it um uh-huh. just so it's it's kind of like eh, i mean it's i, I was glad I, I was glad that they made it because i was like oh okay now like uh, I have a a version of Dune that actually <laughs> actually follows the book, but now finally I think we're going to we're th- this is it a a big screen you know movie studio production mm-hmm. with a with the right director and and two movies because there's there's like a very natural part in the book where you're like I mean even mm-hmm. reading the book you, you're kind of like huh. Yeah, this is where this is where the end of the first movie should be, <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the, the second movie should start. So yeah, uh, well, good. Uh, you 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 you'll get to go see Dune, and then you can tell me what you think, and uh, uh, I'll be very intrigued. Um, uh, yeah, I'm I uh, I'm not sure when it comes out. Also, they're not paying us or anything to talk about this. We just kind of needed to fill some time. Right, right. <laughs> the beginning of the episode of <laughs> Free Enacted. Uh yeah, but I I you know, and that's really the only reason I would ever go to a movie theater. I'm not a, I'm not a big movies person and it has really nothing has it has nothing to do with COVID or anything like that. I just haven't it's I've... it has to be kind of a spectacle or a big action movie. Oh, to get me to go to the theater oh so, yeah I mean, I, i'm not really you i'm not naturally inclined inclined to go to the theaters like a lot of people are either like i'm mm-hmm. i'm usually mm-hmm. like a two or three movie a year kind of guy like it has to be yeah me too yeah it's it's a movie that i'm highly that like i've highly been anticipating um anything else at the box office whatever i'll see it eventually if i yeah if i'm gonna see it yeah so same same here uh, yeah also we have like ostensibly a theater room in our house so i mean it's got to be pretty fucking special <laughs> to get me out of the house instead of just waiting for it to come out right on streaming or whatever right um right so uh speaking of things that are pretty fucking special do you want to get into this episode of let's, unsolved mysteries it's- let's talk about some really spectacular treasure So this is uh, season five, episode fifteen. If you're following along at home, yes. And the segment is treasure, and it takes us to the Philippines, 
we the first segment actually opens up with a nice little um, historical uh, background on uh, Ferdinand Marcos, the dictator of mm-hmm. the Philippines for several decades. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not the one that's there now. No, this is a different one. No, no yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So not Maduro. This is this is Marcos. Yes. Just if you want to keep your Philippine. Yeah. This dictator yeah, straight. Yeah. And this and yeah. this this guy's this guy's dead. Um, he was dead even at the time of mm-hmm. recording the episode because uh, uh, we we follow this, this episode. The segment follows a guy named Roger Ro- Rojas. Rojas. I keep on to say Roxas mm-hmm. when when I look at his name. No, it's Rojas. I know it's Ro- yeah. it's, it's Rojas. Yes, um, who yeah. uh, it, at the time of the filming of this episode uh, was engaged in a. Um, uh, a suit against the estate of Marcos, claiming that they, mm-hmm. uh, Fernand Marcos, uh, stole some some treasure that 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 Roger mm-hmm. had actually uh, uh, managed to 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 uncover, and so. Um, real quick, can we talk about the uh, Marcos situation? Uh, um, this is also why why I was hoping maybe that <laughs> maybe this is not your forte either. But um, my entire understanding of what was going on in the Philippines in the late '80s is based on like late night talk show monologues <laughs> that made jokes about Im- Imelda Marcos's shoe collection. And Imelda Marcos was the first lady of the Philippines. And now, Cr- Chris, she had like 700 pairs of shoes or something. Yes, Chris. So I was actually going to bring this up. Yes. Uh, so I might as well mention it now. <laughs> I, I, okay. Have you ever Googled, just tried to Google the term Marcos shoe con- collection? Uh, no. Should I do it right now? Do it right now and tell me what you think of the image okay. that you... Okay. <laughs> Oh, there's a picture. <laughs> I mean, I've only heard I've only heard, you know, jokes and, you know, my what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um the final tally as reported by Time magazine in 1987 was 1060 pairs of sh- shoes. And these aren't like just Payless shoes, okay? Yeah. These are like they they are behind glass cases. <laughs> There's an article here that's called "The Mixed Legacy of Melda Marcus's Shoes." <laughs> so is it fair? Is it fair to say then the the Marcos family was basically running a kleptocracy in the Philippines for a couple of decades? Oh, totally. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense with this segment. I mean, what's about to happen? Yeah, I mean the things that we like that were shown depicted in the segment, they would seem like crazy, uh, uh, almost to disbelief, but I mean, that's kind of almost literally what was happening. Um, but yeah, Mm -hmm. like, so the background on Roger, uh, his father was actually Japanese and had served in the Japanese army during the occupation of the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And I guess, um, he, he showed young Roger a map of where. Well, I was that. Hold on a second. It wasn't Roger. It was Roger's friend Albert, whose dad was in the Japanese army. Oh shit! Army. I uh, oh god! Yeah. I I got like my notes are are are, are, are crisscrossed. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Like the segment was not 
clear, which is why I kind of glazed over. Okay. Ro- it, anyway, uh, th- please continue. Okay, so Roger's friend, <laughs> uh, oh. his, as a kid, was shown a map by his Japanese father that depicted where allegedly this gold fortune of gold was located at. Um, and so we get a reenactment of them and a group of others that, uh, they, they, they're searching and they, they actually locate a, a sort of cavern and it's, it's real. I'm not sure if Indiana Jones styles the right, I mean, they're, they're going around they're they're, they're, they're using their map. They, they start hitting into the floor and it collapses and, you know, and underneath is a little space compartment with a large golden buddha um like solid gold that sounds heavy yeah i mean they it was like what two thousand pounds i guess was the the weight wow yeah gold's heavy shit um and speaking of uh, uh which uh you know they they wander a little bit further from that location and they just find like boxes with gold bars in them. Oh, by the way, they also found like at least 10 skeletons of Japanese soldiers who Whoa. I guess accidentally got, or, or maybe deliberately were enclosed in with the, the, the gold. Um, and I guess, I know, I guess Ro- Roger and, and company, they didn't really have the, infrastructure to extract all of this so they took the gold buddha but they they dynamited the cavern entrance until they like i guess you know the plan was that they would sell the buddha and then you know use that money they they could extract all the remainder of the gold um Mm -hmm. and so we get this reenactment of you know, Roger's got the, the Buddha sort of in the corner of his house and he's showing it off to this like potential buyer was like, yeah, I'll give you the, you know, the equivalent of uh, $160,000 for it. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and after he left, I, Roger noticed that he was kind of like examining the back of the neck. So we get a little reenactment of um, Roger and his, what, his brother? Um, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they, they kind of, they're, they're, they're sort of like trying to... It pulled the the head off because it kind of seemed like it was a uh, attached, you know, it wasn't a solid piece. And they 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 pull the head off, and inside of the Buddha are diamonds. <laughs> so what? <laughs> this is like, I mean, it's like if you opened a Cadbury cream egg, um, and there was like some like even more spectacular candy prizes inside, uh, beside you know, besides just the the normal cream. Uh, what would you rather have in the middle of a Cadbury cream egg besides that cream stuff? Well, what I was thinking is like the cream stuff, but then in the middle of that cream stuff is a smaller Cadbury cream egg. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's in, that's interesting. So, I mean, really, maybe it's not so oh. much like it would be a regular sized Cadbury cream egg. It'd be a little bit larger and you just have a normal sized one in the middle and like you sort of mm-hmm. after like slurping out some of that uh that delicious um yolk like you, you it's mm-hmm. like well the experience isn't over yet because you got another one to <laughs> to crack wow. open um what do you th- what do you think about i mean is this situation finding diamonds in the gold buddha is it is it like 
those Reese's peanut butter cups that have the Reese's pieces in them now? Have you had oh, those? Oh, I've seen those. I don't think I've bought the. There's so many Reese's products now. I feel like when I walk mm-hmm. into a. Yeah, there's it's, there's too many probably. Yeah, when I walk into yeah. a gas station, like a full third of the candy section now is just like a hundred different mm-hmm. iterations of Reese's uh, products. It's like, what? Well, um, yeah. But yeah, no, I but I've seen those on the, sh- the, the, the shelves. I was like, those look fun. Those look that, that that I think that's the right analogy for this situation. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um so the so the diamonds are the Reese's pieces. And the Reese and then the golden Buddha is the peanut butter peanut cup. cup. Yeah. Okay. Or it's like what you said, which is some kind of monstrous Cadbury <laughs> cream egg product. No, your 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 analogy both makes more sense and uh, actually exist. So let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we have this t- terrible thing that happens because um, they, uh, uh, the like, we have this reenactment of like the Philippine army just smashing the windows in um, of, uh, yeah. of Roger's house, which. Yeah. Real, real goon squad type shit. Right, you know? right. I mean, it was totally unnecessary for them to do that. Um, I think it was just it was, it was less about making sure he couldn't ex- escape than just sort of a demonstration of how powerless he is. Uh, they they come in, turn and walks it and in walks in that prospective buyer, who we goddamn yep we it it's like a fo- it's like a total like. Donovan revealed to be working mm-hmm. with the Nazis, uh, kind of situation yeah. in Last Crusade. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and so that and he and he 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 tells Roger he's like, didn't I say not? <laughs> Precisely. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so they, um, the they start ripping up like they take i mean cuz the buddha's just behind a sheet in the corner so that's found pretty quickly and then they start uh the soldiers start just ransacking the entire home for anything of any sort of value like all of his wife's jewelry literally the kids piggy, piggy banks <laughs> um and this kind of, I mean, this would seem kind of outlandish, but uh, this is this is a pretty good analogy for what the Marcos regime did to the Philippines. Um, but yeah, they, uh, his, you know, his all, 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 his house is basically just stripped down. Like, I mean, in such a dick move too. It's like, not only are we going to take this obscene amount of wealth uh, uh, that you just found, but we're also going to take what what you had beforehand as well. And Roger makes this very strange decision that he he reports this to the police. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what's going through Roger's head. I'm wondering if it was just at the time. Because this is the early 70s, like 1971. Mm -hmm. At the time, maybe it just wasn't known to the average Filipino how corrupt everything was. Maybe, like, the average person just, like, didn't know. Right. Well, And all this stuff came out later, right? That could could very well be a reasonable explanation. Because, yeah, I mean, the... 
they 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 tried to make a pretense that the Philippines were uh, uh, still democratic under the Marcos regime. Uh, so mm-hmm. it is plausible that Roger was just really not engaged with what was going on in his country and was was just. Yeah, I mean, he was an amateur treasure hunter and professional locksmith. Yeah. So, yeah, he so he goes and he reports to the police and then he goes to see like a judge and the judge is like, look, you really you really messed up by going to the police. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and Ro- Roger is still like, but they just stole from me. Can't you do anything? And he's like, look, the president, this is like, you know, this goes to the president of the country. Mm-hmm. I can't I, I really can't do anything. Uh, I would advise that you just uh-huh. like get the heck out of Dodge. Um, mm-hmm. And then so Roger, you know, he's uh, just trying to keep low after that, uh, though he, he gets contacted by like the opposition in the Philippines who haven't been come. Uh, you know, they're trying to discredit Marcos and they, they, they sort of learn about the story. So they have him kind of come in and like, look at some fake Buddha, uh, uh, Mm-hmm. And you know it's just like to, to try to embarrass the the uh, Marcos, and very shortly thereafter we get a reenactment of Roger just wa- walking across the street a street in, in in the city at night, and the you know bunch of uniformed men come surround him and load him up into a car, and he's taken to a room that's uh, looks a lot like a high school. Um, photography development room with <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the red light and yeah yeah this is pretty uh edgy i, I thought for unsolved mysteries this next part it's very it. intense yeah i don't like have we ever had yeah. a depiction of torture anything resembling this before in the show um, i think there was a vietnam pow thing where they had to fight each other over like a punji oh stick yeah yeah and that was similarly kind of intense but torture not really right i don't think we've gotten that before yeah so they like the the sort of officer in charge uh roger knows he's talking to the president because he the officer like refers to him as such and the officer is just like when he gets off the phone i the way the actor plays it i was even just sort of a little I was a little thrown off because I feel like the actor kind of went with this fun thing where like he sounds kind of like chipper and pleasant and upbeat. And he's like, you know, the president is really happy. And and like, mm-hmm. uh, um, so like for, for a brief second while watching this, this segment, I was actually thinking, oh, wow, is this going to be like a strange 90 degree turn? And it's like the president's like really sorry and he's he's going to cut you a small check but no no they instead they bring in uh, a, a makeshift electrocution device and they start torturing roger with it um to such a degree that apparently it like ruined the nerves in the around, around his left eye and uh yeah, yeah. which is really apparent in the I mean, spoiler, Roger lives. He's the one telling the story. But it's really apparent when they show the talking head portion with him. Like, the the area in his left side of his face doesn't really move. He can't really blink. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, but it was like before we even got to this part, I was like, oh, man, this guy has been through it. <laughs> like his <laughs> face is kind of messed up. It's like really it was really obvious to me. Right. Um, When he was talking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, normally I wouldn't like comment on like s- someone's appearance on something that's like that they don't have any control over. But I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. because it's it, it's. You know, it, it's not just something he was born with. It turns out it was something that he got from this horrific torture. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, like, they, they should, like, he's, like, basically stuck in a hotel room. They're just, like, beating him all the time. Uh, and so, finally, he just relents. And they bring him into a courtroom. And they just have him point at this, this like, fake goat Buddha. And take some pictures as I, I, I assume they airbrushed all the bruises <laughs> still left on his face. Mm-hmm. They said they let them like the major wounds heal up. Uh, the poor guy like had, had to officially acknowledge that like, Oh, that was, that was never mine at the you know first place or da, da, da. Uh, he, he was uh, sort of re-imprisoned at the same hotel where, where he'd been tortured. But, Fortunately, his background as a locksmith comes in. He they show him holding some sort of mm-hmm. wire. I don't know if it was a paperclip or what, but he um, he actually manages to uh, to use it to uh, do escapey things uh, on on the padlock that, uh, holding the cage over the window in the bathroom, and he escapes. Mm-hmm. It's um. You know, so we have this action pack thing of him walking along sort of the ledge side and then he sort of just climbs down and then climbs over a fence. Uh, I guess it's not really that <laughs> action packed, but um, yeah, we we get some, you know, the background on Marcos. You know, he died in 89. Apparently his personal wealth was greater than that of the treasury of the Philippines. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Roger. uh uh Roger's convinced that like uh his gold Buddha and uh all those gold bars, I think he he eventually had to like he gave up the location under torture, right? Of where the mm-hmm. gold bars were. Like he's convinced that, you know, mm-hmm. obviously that's a significant chunk of uh uh money that, that's part of that personal wealth. And so we get the sort of the closing little interview with Roger where you know he's talking about everything and we have a stack who's like, okay, and here's the deal. A suit's been filed against the Marcos estate. Case is currently in the docket in Hawaii. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, Roger says that if he wins, uh, a huge chunk of that will go to a thing for, you know, education aid in the, the Philippines. And then we get an update. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those, just a picture with text. Um yeah. Partially, that's because um, Roger isn't able to actually give a a live update, um, and I no. I mean live in you know talking and whatnot because mm-hmm. uh, well he's not he's not going to be doing much of anything. Yeah, the text on the thing read on the day he was to testify in a civil court case, R- Roger Rojas collapsed and died of cardiac de- cardiac arrest. That's, I guess, unfortunate. 
it is. And I, I, you know, I, I wonder how many other legal, I'm not going to look into it because that would amount to research, but I wonder how many other legal actions were taken against the Marcos family or the estate rather. I, um, I bet there must be a lot. Cause you know, they, they're just, they just be stealing. They were just stealing shit. Just out. Left and yeah. Right. Just outright and, stealing. I mean, I mean, it's one thing where like, I mean, you know, where it's like, oh, they're skimming off the top of like transfers of money from like the treasury mm-hmm. to, you know, wherever. No, they're just outright just like just going OG, you know, just like robbing people. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. I, I've never I've never encountered a regime that operated in that manner. Um, uh, Robbie, did you like this segment? It was about half of the this episode of Unsolved Mystery. It was. It was a big long. It was a treasure segment, by the way. It wasn't a wanted. <laughs> it wasn't a one. No, it was a. Tre- it was a treasure segment, and I have to say, uh, I was real excited at the beginning because we haven't had a treasure segment in a really long time. Right. And you know, the thing was, as I was watching it, um, yeah, I kind of already knew what was going to happen because of the uh, the intro at the beginning of the show, but it was just sort of like. As soon as he goes and visits visits his friend, and they're looking at the map based off what he remembered, what his Japanese father showed him, I was like, mm-hmm. the thought that occurred to me was, you know, like we've seen those treasure segments uh, before, where people are like, oh, there's some legend or something, and so now, like, mm-hmm. you got all these people who are spending thousands, if not tens of thousands, of dollars trying to track down, like alleged mysterious buried gold that was rumored to have like been put there 120 years ago. And, you know, you're just like, mm-hmm. and the joke is it's like the only person who's getting rich is the guy who's renting out the um, heavy earth moving equipment to these, to these. Right. Yeah. Holes. But I mean, you know, when, it, when they brought out that map, I was like, okay, this is like, this is like, you know, this was something that came straight from the source. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. the guy was like, yeah, we bur- told his son, like buried all that gold right up there. And, uh, <clears throat> in this mm-hmm. cave. And <clears throat> it was just like, yeah, you know, it's actually worth, if, if you have something like that fall into your life, it's actually worth pursuing it. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, my mother was convinced that my father had like some stash of, money or something buried somewhere in the Nevada desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, though when I, when I was visiting my father, when, uh, in the, in the last few days of his life, he didn't mention anything about it. So, um, uh, I guess, I guess my mother's suspicions were just paranoia. Uh, <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess it would have been more exciting if he had told me like, go, go to Ely, you know, like, 300 mm-hmm. feet south of, of the interstate, dig a hole. Uh, so my, my, my actual life could have become a treasure segment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, one, yeah, one of the things I noted here, though, is how did the Japanese come into possession? The Japanese soldiers mm-hmm. come into possession of all this treasure. I, I assume just looting 
and ravaging all the places they conquered in southeastern Asia. So it was stolen to begin with. <laughs> almost certain. Oh, that stuff is almost certainly stolen, Crystal. <laughs> I mean, I, I... Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm just... I, I, I was not thinking this was like their 401k or anything. No, no. This was just loot that they were hiding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... Okay. Yeah, this was like, I mean, I'm sure it was like gold bars they appropriated from like banks across, con- you know, various like countries. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as, as they were having to, uh, as they were being pushed back more and more to the Japanese islands, like, I, I think this was mm-hmm. loot that all came from like disparate places and they just sort of ended up in the same location. And yeah, they, um, I I wonder if like, you know, like when the Americans landed in the Philippines, uh, maybe like some Japanese officer was like told these like 10 or 11 soldiers like, okay, we're going to seal off the entrance to the cave, but we intend to be back Mm -hmm. in a couple of days uh, when we can get some trucks to move all this gold. Don't let anyone get to it. (laughs) Then... Um, through the happenstance of war, they just never came back. Uh, hmm Yeah. You know, it reminds me of another Indiana Jones adventure. Ooh. That's... With the... Uh, no, this isn't a correct allegory, but I was thinking about the Cross of Coronado at the beginning of uh, The Last Crusade. Oh, right. And where the, the robbers go and loot this uh area that is probably native uh land <laughs> if i had to guess it took place in utah pretty good i'm gonna guess that was not for them to go i don't know it's just ro- people just be robin you know what i'm saying like here's what i'm getting at is this like uh roger rojas yes did he i don't i really don't know how property laws are supposed to work in the Philippines at the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he had a claim to Oh, that. because because uh, that all that stuff that was stuff the Japanese stolen from other countries and should probably be returned back right. to yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean it's basic okay, maybe a better maybe a better example is of this is right. So the Nazis took a lot of jewels, art. Mm-hmm artifacts all kinds of stuff you know they they looted paris basically and you know they they stole from the uh, people they put in the concentration camps and they looted all that shit right and so it's like if when when the uh the the monuments men which who were covered actually in a much earlier episode of unsolved mysteries it's like if those guys had taken all that shit home and said, this is ours now. And then like <laughs> the U S government's broke into their house and said, no, actually we're going to steal this too. There's like three sets of stealing. Going on. They're all, they're all thieves. There's no honorable anyone in this story. I'm sorry that Roger's house got fucked up and he was tortured. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But he was just another thief in a long line of thieves. But but it, 
Well, yeah, I, I admittedly, I don't under, I have no idea what the legal property laws are involved with I don't this either. sort of stuff. I mean, well, obviously they didn't really matter. Well, then, I guess not, not that it would matter in the, the, the Marcos, Marcos regime, no. But uh, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I have to imagine there's some sort of finderous keeperous um, aspect. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. I mean, there, maybe there's a you know a claim that way but i maybe maybe the i don't know he was trying to settle it in a u.s court too yeah so i i don't know i don't know under u.s law how that would even i mean the most he could do is sue for damages right for the torture and right the loss of the possessions he already had in his home i don't know that he could have recovered what i'm sure was the millions of dollars all that stuff was worth yeah i you know what i mean so yeah i suppose with you know i guess the thing is yeah well i mean if you were in a situation where you learn that like mm-hmm. that you know that same set of wealth uh those gold bars and that gold buddha uh were somewhere would you be uh, I mean, I guess, I guess, I, I, in my, from my perspective, a fair, a fair accounting would be that if you put the effort in to sort of treasure hunt and find it, um, he should be entitled to like as much gold as he can like wear on his person. The rest has to get returned back to the <laughs> to like Indonesia mm-hmm. and Malaysia and Vietnam and everywhere else it was looted, looted from but uh mm-hmm. but you know if he can as many gold bars as he can fit in his pockets and then down his pants um i i i would say would be a fair <laughs> a fair division <laughs> i think i think a standard issue like gold bullion bar weighs about like 45 pounds yeah that's probably right so you're not fitting many <laughs> uh well it's just uh, uh, yeah <laughs> okay well anyway um hey uh let's leave the philippines behind i think yes let's and, talk uh, about another way to make money through <laughs> legally yeah. questionable means let's go to albuquerque new mexico date july 16th 1989 um, this is, yeah, there's some, I think the theme of this episode is Southeast Asian crime, <laughs> if I had to pick one, uh, because, uh, well, we're going to, okay, so Caitlin Arquette is now not Southeast Asian. She's a, she's a white woman, which doesn't really matter. Maybe it matters a little to this segment. I'm not really sure. But anyway, um, oh, I didn't know this. I wasn't paying attention here in the segment. She, Caitlin Arquette is the daughter of mystery writer Lois Duncan. I didn't realize Lois Duncan, who was being interviewed for this segment, was... Oh, this really puts another thing on this, doesn't it? Okay, uh, just... uh, I will... um... I will admit, I do not... (laughs) Sorry, I I just... I'm not familiar with with Lois Duncan... Uh, I, I, uh-huh. I okay, so I understand from what you said that she's a mystery writer. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, she just she it's like stuff you would find now in the thrift store or back in the day at the airport, kind of paperback. Yeah, yeah, and things. You know what I mean? And so, um, so now now I now I have to look at it from a whole new perspective that her mom was like, how would the characters from my book try to solve this? <laughs> I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of thinking. Um, I was very, very team mom in this segment, but now this is colored it a little bit. Where I'm now, I don't know what to think. But anyway, let's let's get to okay. the, let's get to the unsolved mystery. Yeah, yeah let, let's talk about this segment because I'll I'll mention the thing that kind of where the mom kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But let's. Mm, okay, right. so Caitlin graduates high school. She has a. Uh, she go. She's going to the University of Mexico, or she's about to go. I don't really know what's going on. Um, but anyway, she moves out of her family home and into an apartment with her boyfriend. And uh, please don't at me, but I'm going to try it. Uh, Dong Nguyen, Nguyen. Um, he's Vietnamese. Yes. <laughs> American. Uh, okay, so uh, we'll just call him Mr. Nguyen from now on, because I'm not going to try and butcher his first name again. Uh, somehow they had some money to pay for this apartment. Uh, you know, the other thing is the mom said that initially she'd been really impressed with, uh, Caitlin's boyfriend. Um, like he just seemed like a really nice guy. He was at the house a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, he said that he was, or Caitlin said that he was only four years older than her, which at the age of 18, if he's like 22, that's kind of, that's kind of icky. That's kind of gross. Yeah. Um, but it turns out he was more than double that. He was eight years older than her. That's so. doubly gross. Actually, that's, even more that's so. Double, yeah. double icky. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah. in fact, it, I'd say probably exponential, exponentially climbs. So it's probably like 16 times as gross. Yeah. yeah, so they move in together. Um, about six weeks after moving in together, Caitlin goes back to her mom saying, like, she thinks that was a mistake. They shouldn't have moved moved in together. They were having problems. And and um, this is where her mom rubbed me the wrong way, at least as depicted okay. in the reenactment. Because <laughs> in the reenactment, she's like, because uh, I guess she's telling her like, oh, if, you know, if he calls or whatever, tell him I'm not here. I've gone some, you know, somewhere. And, and, and her mom's like, but that would be a lie. You can't do that to him. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, she's your daughter. Like, why are you taking the, the boyfriend of how many, ever yeah, many weeks side? <laughs> but that's my, that's my um, only gripe. Yeah, gripe. that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, that's my only gripe with her. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. We don't even know if that's real. So, that could have just been the reenactment people making it up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that is real. Um okay, so on, on the afternoon of July 16th, 1989, um Caitlin comes to visit Lois and says that um you know, all that stuff I already said they're having problems and whatever mm-hmm. and uh asks her mom to lie about her whereabouts and that Caitlin was going to visit a friend for a couple hours. Um, as Caitlin was driving, she stopped at an intersection and another car pulled up next to her, rolled down the window and shot her twice in the head. Um, so, uh, very quickly after that, uh, the, you know, whoever, whoever came across the accident got her to the hospital. Um, 
Lois finds that, finds that Caitlin is in the emergency room. We get a reenactment. Caitlin at this point is in a coma. Uh, and immediately, uh, Mr. Nguyen, her, Caitlin's boyfriend, comes, rushes to the hospital to be by Caitlin's side. Mm-hmm. And um, either that night or later on, uh, Lois and Mr. Nguyen have a conversation where he was unaware that Caitlin did not had wanted him to leave the apartment that she didn't want to live with him anymore. And in fact, that Caitlin had just left a note, uh, before going out for the evening, just saying where she would be, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Mr. Nguyen apparently had an alibi. And then, um, also he was, you know, he was there all night in the emergency room with Lois, Caitlin's mother. I believe Caitlin passes away the next day, but Mr. Nguyen was there the entire time. And this this becomes important sort of later on. Um, so police decide that this is basically just a random act. And it was some kids out for a joyride just shooting guns in other people's cars. Because <laughs> that's a thing that happens. <laughs> Uh, it's weird how how it was I, how it was I, how they how how it got described just like in a very blase just like you know kids kids will be kids they they go around they, yeah you know they just you know you know how Robin you remember in high school when you would just like go out and joyride in someone's car and just shoot a gun yeah into <laughs> into another person's other car. people's cars yeah I mean, <laughs> just at an intersection <laughs> right in the head remember how we used to just do that all the time I mean. So Christo, who in high school didn't, you know, like go out on a Friday night after they hit the pizza Uh factory and, you know, they got their slices. Right. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Got your got your garlic knots. You're all full of carbs. Jacked up on Diet Coke. <laughs> Go, they're going to then approach an intersection and shoot, shoot into another person's car yeah. at, at their head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we did we did a lot of dumb shit in cars, but all of it was actively harmful to ourselves. <laughs> not anyone else? Yes. Um, I think the most, yeah, the most thing we had to contend with is, uh, you know, the tr- trees in the woods and making sure not to hit those. But, uh. Yeah, so understandably, Lois is like, this is sus. This is sus. Also, I'm a, I'm a mystery writer. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, you know, this is a mystery. I, uh, you know, and I'm kind of like in agreement with her. And so it comes out later that Mr. Nguyen was involved in the, um, this car insurance fraud yes. team where... I guess it was like a really big deal in the Los Angeles, Orange County and Vietnamese community. But I I guess he was involved in it too, all the way out in Albuquerque where folks would go rent a car, uh, stage an accident with another, you know, do like, you know, Oh, I have soft tissue injuries or whatever. Um, and then file an insurance claim. And that insurance claim was being handled by this specific lawyer who would get the payouts in Orange County. Now, this is important because at, uh, at the time that Mr. Nguyen and Caitlin were in the emergency room, three phone calls were made from their apartment mm-hmm. to that lawyer's office in Orange County, California. Yeah. And no one would have should have been in the apartment and uh 
you know, again, the cops are like, no, it's just random violence. Don't worry about it. And Lois is like, well, hold on a second. And he and she finds out that a lot of, you know, once Caitlin had moved in with Mr. Nguyen, like she found out about all this stuff, like. You know, that's how they paid for the deposit on the apartment was doing was doing crime. They were scamming, yeah. basically. Yeah. And Caitlin didn't, you know, according to Lois, Caitlin wouldn't have ab- abided by that. And it was causing conflict in their relationship, even though Lois didn't know, didn't seem to know specifically why they were arguing. I think this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so Lois's theory is that she was assassinated because she was threatening to go to the cops with this information. I really like the reenactment they do of like when of the uh, car wreck they stage. <laughs> like you know, you you, run, mm-hmm. you runs into the back of this car and like three people get out and they're just rubbing their like backs or necks, <laughs> right? <laughs> For to make sure that anyone who's passing by sees like, oh, they got, you know, look at those people. They obviously have soft tissue damage. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. So the cops instead decide to go after this other guy named Robert Garcia, who after about two hours breaks and tells the investigators that on the night of Caitlin's murder that he'd been in a car with three friends. And then, um, you know, when they were all hopped up on garlic knots and Diet Coke, they shot a woman in her car on a dare at an intersection, which what? (laughs) I guess so. Um, That's a... Strange, yeah, th- th- that so, the, th- having that be depicted as like what it just came, totally came out of left field. Uh, I, I was like, What? What? You're in, I was, I was totally like following along with you on this boyfriend insurance, you know, motive type thing, and now you're just throwing at me the the the, the joyriding shooting thing. Ah, um, yeah, so. Here's the thing. <laughs> and we don't we don't get an update um from the show Unsolved Mysteries. The wiki though has some interesting information. Uh so three so this guy Robert uh and this is mentioned in the segment. Robert uh point you know points to these three other people, Dennis Martinez, Juvenal Escobedo and Miguel Garcia as being being in the car yeah um and that robert had said that miguel was the trigger man um so and they were also able to connect the brown camaro camaro the three guys were driving with an eyewitness who had seen who thought they saw what was going on um with caitlin and uh Anyway, here's the problem, though. The whole case fell apart because Robert had been in jail. Robert, who was not in the car, had been in jail on the night of Kaylin's murder. Yes. So he wouldn't have known shit about it, basically. Indeed. On the other hand, you know, people talk in jail. So maybe Robert heard some things through the grapevine. Yeah, man, we were out on a, this murder. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, totally. That could. So there's, there's like a lot of angles. There's a lot of factors in this. Um, I mean, the only thing we do know is that Caitlin was murdered. Yeah. And, you know, was it the car in- Vietnamese car insurance 
scam gang? Maybe. Could have been these other guys, but basically no one was prosecuted for this murder. <sighs> Ever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, on a lighter note, um, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, tr- trading um, children for horse care. Oh, uh, real, uh, real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, I just, yes. Um, no. Yeah. No. Uh, Connor, don't don't cut here. Yeah. <laughs> We're not done. Uh, I just I yes, just want like because remember when the landlord mentioned that like they're like um they've been party partying like the night she she passed away in the caitlin passed away in the hospital like there's a bunch of guys over in the Mm -hmm. apartment and they have Mm -hmm. little little reenactment of it like you know there's like you know like a couple guys over and you know he's he's drinking beers with them and it totally like Mm-hmm. It looks like the the because he's twenty eight, yeah, <laughs> or whatever. So so he 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 he's of legal age to, to drink. Yeah. Um, they they have this like the the all three of the actors recreating this this party. It literally literally looks like the director was like, okay, try to like try to like act like you're having a she's dead party. <laughs> like they look like they're celebrating, you know, that she 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 uh-huh. she passed away, and there's just something about yeah. their body language and how they're like toasting and and stuff. So I just wanted to mention that before we move on to our our wonderful lost love segment involving Ter- Terry Smith. Terry Smith, um. This is a case of a lost friend. This is another one of those. If only they had had Facebook in the early 90s, we would not have this segment at all. But they didn't. Um, so uh, it starts It starts not with Terry Smith, but it starts with uh, John and Jerry t- uh, getting married in um, 1945, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the 50s. Who fucking cares? Um, John and Jerry... Tim- Tim Payne, T Payne, T Payne. Uh, they end up having uh, nine children within the space of twelve years because they be fucking. That's that's and, a lot of kids. Uh, but they, you know, they had other hobbies such as horseback riding and swimming in their swimming pool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all so, things, all uh, things portrayed in the, in the reenactment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, so in you know what's I was thinking about uh, you know they had they were keeping horses at this ranch mm-hmm. and they had a pool. It seems you know and they had nine kids. It seems like they had a pretty nice life. Like was this just being middle class in the sixties where you could have nine kids and keep horses on one person's income and a house with a pool? Was that just life back then? I guess so. Because <laughs> <laughs> they sound rich as hell to me, but that's okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, 1967. They go to the, they go to the, they're at the ranch. They're friend friends with the owner herbs herb herbs herb. <laughs> herb no herb herb Smith. Um, herb is she's divorced, and his daughter Terry lives with him at the ranch. Um, so here's the deal. Herb trades Terry to the T Pains 
to live with them and their other nine children. Because what's one more at that point, really? You know, yeah, what I there, mean? there's probably an economy yeah. of scale where they can kind of work it in. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, they already they already have all. I think she was like. When they show her Terry in the picture, she looks really young. I think she might be about five or six years old yeah. when she goes to live with the T-Pains. And uh, in exchange, uh, Herb says, hey, I'll watch your horses for free if you, like, raise my daughter or whatever. Anyway. Sold. Uh, <laughs> but, okay. Everybody, everyone involved in this segment talks talks about it be really positively. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to me Terry was treated very well, like part of the family. I, I truly believe that the T-Pains did this out of the goodness of their heart, but there was some benefit to them, which is free horse yeah. care. Um, <laughs> like, what, like, you know, is it more expensive to raise a child at this point or to keep a horse? I'm wondering who was in the deficit here because I kind of think it might have been more expensive to keep a horse <laughs> than where he's a kid. Per, perhaps, uh, perhaps. I don't um, know. Somebody, somebody, somebody tweet at us. Somebody who both boards a horse and is raising a child right now, please let me know what the which cost is more expensive. analysis works out to be. Did he? Yeah. What's more expensive, the kid or the horse? Did you notice, like, that in uh-huh. the reenactments, um, uh, of you know the different time uh, ages that we saw Terry, she's always wearing cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that, but now that I think about it, yeah, she, she like was fr- from like always wearing fr- cowboy from boots. when she gets first gets dropped off by her dad. You know, they pull up in a pickup truck that is loaded down with hay bales. Um, to mm-hmm. like um, the very last time we see her portrayed on screen when she's like a teenager. Uh, later you'll you'll get to that she's she's always in cowboy boots <laughs> mm. um, see because she's from the so, country i so guess she's from a ranch so, so of course well she's from the horse yeah she's from the horse yeah, ranch. so she's gonna be wearing cowboy uh, boots <laughs> so the so the other person who's looking for terry um because that's who we're looking for is the youngest child of the t-pains Named Shannon and Shannon had, uh, you know, the segment opens with Shannon's wedding Mm -hmm. and Shannon was so happy that all of her siblings got to be there, but she was terribly sad that, you know, her other sibling, Terry, um, who she got to be so close with was not at her wedding because they, they lost touch. And, um, you know, Shannon recollects that it was Terry who taught her how to ride a horse. And there's some like really cute pictures of them on the horse. And then there's like a reenactment of two little girls, like, riding a horse and mm-hmm. you know they were in similar in age and anyway um what was supposed to be a temporary arrangement becomes a very long-term arrangement and terry ends up staying with the t-pains uh, for about six years yeah. so i think she comes to them when she's about five or six years old and she leaves when she's basically a preteen and 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 under terrible circumstances as well john the father of the t-pain family passes away from cancer which means that uh, Jerry had to go back to work as a nurse and, um, you know, she, she was on graveyard shift and the older children were watching the younger children. Um, but you know, money did become an issue mm-hmm. and, uh, she realized that she, she had to send Terry back to her father, Herb, Herb, I can't, <laughs> can't say that right. Um, and so it was, uh, her, you know, Herb, uh, took her took his daughter back 
Um, I was going to say, the way they talk about, like, her leaving and the way it's sort of, like, portrayed in the little reenactment mm-hmm. where she's walking out with her dad, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not an overly sad sort of thing. It, it's like, she, yeah, she's she's bummed that she's not going to be seeing, you know, that she's leave, leaving, but they're like, mm-hmm. at the same time, she was thrilled to be able to live with her dad again, because that, that is her father, <laughs> so it... it yeah, right. it's yeah. it's not like this. This wasn't like a cruel like where we've seen in some of these things where it's like, oh, the family wants to raise this kid and some, you know, she's cruelly ripped away and it's going to be. But, oh, no, I mean, it's just, you know, it's she's just, you know, she's her cowboy boots are in two different worlds and she like equally belongs yeah. to either, I guess. Wow. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. I've been sitting on that one for a few minutes. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, I just... I just, like, really, I just needed to absorb yeah. it. You've been sitting on it, and I needed to absorb yeah. that. Um, so, Terry comes back often to visit. She usually comes during the summer to, to visit, and sometimes on weekends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the visit certainly decreased when the you know terry and her father had moved to a different part of the state and then in 1980 um she visited for the very last time at that point she's 16 um she came to visit with her boyfriend who she was living with she was no longer with her father and in the reenactment her boyfriend seems like a real like 1980s bad boy dude type of guy oh man He's ripped jeans and a black t-shirt and long hair and a motorcycle oh that spells and no one's wearing a helmet When they take off on the motorcycle. But that's not really connected to him being a bad dude. That's just standard <laughs> 80s. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know. Uh, I I was upset that no one was wearing a helmet in this segment. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, helmets save lives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. So that's the last time the T-Pains ever see Terry. And uh, they lose they lose contact with her, and they would really like to find her. Um, and they do, of course, because it's unsolved mysteries. And as long as somebody's alive, they'll call into the show. And they had a very happy reunion, and hooray! Yeah. And then we get an update with the picture of a recent picture oh. of Shannon and Terry. And they're 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 like they're hugging on each other and looking at the camera, and it's like oh, they got yeah. got to be reunited. Obviously, somehow they were put in touch. Not via Unsolved Mysteries, because we would have gotten an actual uh, segment, a little update that um, video then. So, Robbie, if people want to get in touch with us, um, how should they touch us? <laughs> very, very, very delicately. Um, go to Twitter. Uh-huh. Very gently. Reenacted Pod. Uh-huh. Or send us an email, uh-huh. reenactedpod at gmail.com. Go to uh, Facebook, uh-huh. reenacted fans, something uh, ever. Uh, there's a Patreon. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh-huh. um, it's re- it's uh, patreon.com slash reenactedpod. Yeah. If you want to help us keep, keep pay our producer, pay the hosting fees, make sure that we can still have a podcast because I don't have a job anymore and I've been financing this shit for like four years. <laughs> so who, who knows what could happen mm. at this point? Um, no, there'll be a podcast. It just, you know? Yeah. 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 Precisely. 
Is there a dog? Oh, God. Can you? Do you live with a can dog? Can you hear that dog? Oh, boy. I can hear that dog. Is that your dog? No, not my dog. Uh, there, okay. There's so, well, then we'll just ignore yeah, it. Yeah, so, someone else is running out of room. I don't know what's going on. Uh, they have a dog. I don't know why that dog's barking. Uh, someone must have gone outside okay. and out. Uh, I met. It's okay. I'm sure the dog is saying, if you can, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Five-star. That's what the- If you like our podcast. Woof, woof. iTunes. I'm sure that's what the dog is woof, saying. Woof, woof. Five stars. Yeah. Woof, woof. That's what if I- you don't like, If you I don't heard. like the pod, you don't have to, 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 to ding us. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. You can just keep that information just to yourself stop. and never listen just to us again. Just stop listening. Woof, woof. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robbie. Do you want to do the thing? Yes. Join us next time. Perhaps you may be able to solve a mystery. 